Did I tell you I was going to take a break in August? Well, I am, to enjoy more of our long, hot summer. More of that later. Actually, it's drizzling here in York in the north of England, but we're promised more scorching weather before the end of August, with a potential hosepipe ban and crops shriveling in the fields. In this episode, drought, wildfires and keeping cool. The Environment Agency dams the water companies. The candidates for UK PM display their knowledge of the climate crisis. Not much. There's a book review and a new brew from Singapore. You can make your own jokes about that when you've heard the story. And it's goodbye from me until September. But before I go, I'm Anthony Day with episode number 425 of the Sustainable Futures Report and it's Friday the 29th of July. Yes, we're facing a drought in the UK and last week we saw wildfires which spread to houses. Not nearly as bad as the 17,241 acres or 7,000 hectares ablaze in central California. Called the Oak Fire, by Tuesday the 26th it was 16% contained, up from 10% contained on Monday morning, and 3,700 people had been evacuated. 55 structures had been destroyed, with some 2,400 remaining at risk. California, after all, has experienced 10 years of drought, so the Oak Fire is just one of 428 burning across the US right now. Have a look at the fire map. There's a link on the Sustainable Futures Report website. While northern Europe has cooled off since last week's extremes, temperatures remain high in the south. The European Forest Fire Information System said last week that 19 countries were in extreme danger from the wildfires, while Spain, Portugal and France were at very extreme danger. But how do we stop wildfires? An article in the New York Times describes the experience of scientist Liana Anderson working in the Brazilian rainforest. Her business is prediction, anticipating where fires are likely to break out. A key driver is land clearances. When trees are felled to make space for agriculture, they are frequently burned and this risks getting out of control. Above average temperatures, below average rainfall and the time of year are all factored into the predictions as well as human behaviour and the likelihood that some people are going to set fires. The predictions help the fire service to take preemptive action, such as controlled burning to remove fuel from areas at risk of fires. The situation in Brazil is notoriously bad under the current Bolsonaro regime. Deforestation rates continue to grow and wildfires still rage. Meanwhile, Law enforcement agencies assigned to protect the forest struggle with low funding and threats of violence from environmental criminals. Anderson remains optimistic. Her research will help fire services on other continents predict, plan, avoid and control their wildfires. Whether or not there are fires in the area, these recent temperatures are becoming far too hot for human comfort. What's the solution? Air conditioning is widely used, but not very common in areas like Northern Europe, which have recently experienced extreme temperatures. The units extract heat from buildings 
and expel it outside, making the surrounding areas even hotter. Air conditioning uses significant amounts of electricity, much of which is still generated using fossil fuels, creating emissions which makes the problem worse. Aircon units using significantly less electricity are available, but there are generally no regulations requiring that they should be used. Air conditioning units use refrigerant gases, which are greenhouse gases far more potent than CO2. Unless the units are properly repaired and disposed of, these gases are a serious risk to the environment. Writing in the New York Times, Somani Sengupta describes solutions involving design rather than technology. For example, a museum in Rio de Janeiro draws in water from a nearby bay for cooling. Similarly, but a bigger scale, Toronto's downtown core has a cooling system that uses cool lake water to absorb heat from city buildings. A hospital in rural Bangladesh uses courtyards and canals to create a cooling microclimate. Architects in Singapore, the air conditioning capital of Southeast Asia, are angling buildings in ways that allow wind to flow through city blocks and using vertical gardens to cool high-end hotels and office buildings. Solutions like these need vision and regulation. We need governments with the imagination to recognise the size of the problem and the range of potential solutions. I mentioned drought. California has had a drought for 10 years. The UK is preparing measures to combat this year's drought. It's all to do with water, a vital resource. A resource which is being grossly mismanaged, according to a report this week from the UK's Environment Agency. Water supply in England is controlled by private organisations. In Scotland, it is in public ownership. In addition to its report, the agency, a government body, publishes a blog. Commenting on the report, it records that seven water companies had an increase in serious incidents compared to 2020. In total, there were 62 serious incidents for 2021, the highest since 2013. It calls for courts to impose much higher fines for serious and deliberate pollution incidents. Although the amount a company can be fined for environmental crimes is unlimited, the fines currently handed down by the courts often amount to less than a chief executive's salary. It calls for prison sentences for chief executives and board members whose companies are responsible for the most serious incidents. It calls for company directors to be struck off so they cannot simply move on in their careers after illegal environmental damage. Emma Howard Boyd, chair of the Environment Agency, said it's appalling that water companies' performance on pollution has hit a new low. Water quality won't improve until water companies get a grip on their operational performance. For years, people have seen executives and investors handsomely rewarded while the environment pays the price. Company directors let this happen. We plan to make it too painful for them to continue like this. The amount a company can be fined for environmental crimes is unlimited, but fines currently handed down by the courts often amount to less than a chief executive's salary. We need courts to impose much higher fines. Investors should no longer see England's water monopolies as a one-way bet. When privatisation was proposed decades ago, the argument was that the water infrastructure needed substantial investment, and the only way this could be achieved was by selling it to the private sector. 
Not sure of the logic of this as governments can borrow money for investment far more cheaply than commercial organisations. The privatisation provided a one-off cash inflow to the Treasury, but recently investment has fallen well behind what is needed. Water companies have a dispensation which allows them to discharge raw sewage into rivers and watercourses when there is an emergency, such as a flash flood or a breakdown of sewage processing plant. There are allegations now that the water companies put returns to shareholders far above benefits to the consumer. Instead of investing in new infrastructure, they find it cheaper to release raw sewage whenever they have a capacity problem and to just pay the fines. I reported a while ago that the Environment Agency admitted that it could only attend major breaches because of staff shortages. Since then, the government has announced a reduction of the civil service by 90,000 posts, which will no doubt affect the agency, making it even less able to fulfil its duties. On the other hand, Liz Truss, probably the UK's next Prime Minister, says she will cut red tape and remove all EU regulations from the UK statute book as soon as possible. When we originally joined the EU, the regulations on water quality led to a rapid improvement in Britain's rivers and beaches. Some red tape and regulations are about health, safety and quality of life. Wholesale repeal is reckless and irresponsible. What is the position of our potential Prime Ministers on the climate crisis? This week I wrote a letter to The Guardian, not so far published. It followed an article, Highlights from our next Prime Minister, which said, The environment finally got a mention. Yes, I responded, although Sophie Roweth phrased the question about the climate crisis in the light of last week's 40-plus degrees temperatures and neither candidate recognised it as an international crisis, or recognised it at all. Both muttered about recycling, which will do nothing to help us achieve net zero. Truss promised to cut the green levy. Sunak admitted that his two daughters knew more about the issue than he did, and he wants to block onshore wind turbines, the cheapest form of renewable energy. We're clearly damned whichever becomes Prime Minister. And now a book review. I was wandering through the local public library the other day when I saw this book entitled How to Save Our Planet, The Facts by Professor Mark Maslin. I thought I ought to check it out to see if I'm getting things right. It's a paperback. It's about 200 pages and I strongly recommend you get it for your holiday reading. Those 200 pages are full of bullet points. In fact, nothing but bullet points. Some pages have just a single message. Good governance is our greatest weapon against climate change, for example. By 2050, climate change could cost over 20% of world GDP. Individuals are the catalysts that allow the rest of us to demand change. You get the idea. The book is written by Mark Maslin, Professor of Earth System Science at University College London. He's the former director of the UCL Environment Institute and described as a leading voice in the battle against climate change. The book is divided into nine chapters and you're recommended to start with the one of most interest to you. There is history of our planet, history of humanity, state of our world, taxonomy of denial, potential futures, nightmare or ecotopia, power of the individual, corporate positive power, 
government solutions and finally saving our planet and ourselves. It's a very easy read, backed up with detailed references, extra facts about the Earth and a list of further reading. I might disagree with the emphasis of some statements, but Chapter 6, Power of the Individual, is particularly good for answering the perennial question, but what can I do? Buy it. Read it. Share it. How to Save Our Planet, The Facts, by Mark Maslin. One thing you can do is support Extinction Rebellion. They are planning action in September. They say, Politics as we know it is a barrier to rapid action on the climate and ecological emergency. That's why upgrading the political system, putting ordinary people at the centre of decision-making, is what Extinction Rebellion believes is the key to real change. Starting on September the 10th, our action will focus on the third demand for a citizens' assembly on climate and ecological justice. On our Open Call series, we will discuss the plans, answering any questions and helping you find your place in the action. The next Open Call is on Sunday the 31st of July at 8pm. Do you have a spare hour to join the call? If you do, you'll find the link below. You'll find the link on the Sustainable Futures Report website. There's also a film just out, Conscientious Protectors, A Story of Rebellion Against Extinction, it's the story of the development of Extinction Rebellion. There are showings at selected cinemas across the UK. There's a link on the website to help you find your nearest. Before I go, let me catch up on a few stories which I've mentioned previously. Last week I reported that the gas pipeline Nord Stream 1 from Russia to Europe was scheduled to open, but there was some doubt as to whether it actually would come back into service after summer maintenance. In fact, it did reopen, but it's delivering only 20% of capacity. There's some dispute between the Russians and engineers Siemens over whether all of the turbines needed to power the pipeline can be used. The reduced flow will make it difficult for European nations to refill their reserves in advance of the winter. And if the flow stays low, winter will be very difficult. The UK imports only about 5% of gas from Russia, but of course, in the face of shortages, it will have to pay the market price. You'll remember that Sir Patrick Vallance, Chief Scientific Advisor to the British Government, made a presentation on the climate crisis to Members of Parliament, most of whom didn't turn up, last week. I found a link to the recording of the presentation, so if you are an MP who missed it, or even if you're not, You'll find that link on the Sustainable Futures website. You've probably heard of James Lovelock, the creator of the Gaia Hypothesis, the theory that the Earth is a single, self-regulating organism. He died on his birthday this week at the age of exactly 103. There's a link below to his obituary. His life was long and varied. He believed we needed to protect the Earth but disagreed with many environmentalists. For one thing, he strongly believed in the benefits of nuclear power. Somewhere I have a letter from him where he says he wouldn't mind storing nuclear waste in his back garden, and he'd be quite happy if his grandchildren played on top of it. He started as a lab technician, worked at the National Institute for Medical Research, and later at NASA. He was one of the very first people to use microwaves for cooking. He filed more than 40 patents and wrote more than 200 scientific papers, 
as well as several books on the Gaia theory. R.I.P. And finally, a new brew from Singapore. Singapore is prosperous and populous. It always has a problem with water as it has few natural sources. It needs to harvest every drop of rainfall that it can and it makes up the difference by using desalination of seawater. It's an energy-intensive process. In order to emphasise the need to make best use of every drop of water and minimise waste, Brewworks, a local craft brewery, has created a beer called New Brew. It uses new water, water recycled from sewage. New water is microfiltered and then put through a phase of reverse osmosis and ultraviolet disinfection that is aimed at killing the remaining bacteria and viruses, ensuring purity. Drinkers claim that there's absolutely nothing to indicate its origin. You'll notice that I haven't made a single joke about this. I'm sure you're way ahead of me already. However, if you are into homeopathy, please look away now. As I understand it, Homeopathy treats complaints with poisons, but dilutes those poisons to such an extent that they can do no harm. In fact, they are diluted, diluted again, and again, and again, until all agree that there can be no trace of the original material left in the solution. Ah, says the homeopath, but the water remembers the material. I wonder what Singapore's new water remembers. And that's it until September. I'm not going anywhere in particular, but I'll be spending less time behind a keyboard and more time in our allotment garden dealing with an unprecedented glut of fruit, apples, pears, plums, damsons and quince, and there's tomatoes and cucumbers coming on in the greenhouse. It's been a good year for the bees as well. I've already had 40 kilograms of honey, and I'm hoping for more at the end of the month. I've invested in a new microphone, and I hope it's made a difference. I am using it at this moment. I hope it's cut out the pops, as well as making it sound less, as though I'm speaking to you from inside a tin can. Do let me know. From September, the Sustainable Futures Report goes back to one episode a week, and in future it'll be on Wednesdays. Some weeks it'll be a magazine episode with various reports. Some weeks it'll be an interview. Patron Carol Dance has drawn my attention to the fact that the new Australian government has some 27 applications for new coal mines to consider. I'm planning an early interview to look at how the new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has changed his country's environmental policies in his first 100 days. I also plan to cover regeneration and regenerative agriculture, and there will be news to report on September's action by Extinction Rebellion, and whatever else is topical by then. I'd like to build the number of followers who become patrons. I'd like to pay tribute to my existing patrons, most of whom have been supporting me for years. Thank you to you all for your loyalty and for the funds which pay for the hosting, the research and many of the transcriptions. You help to keep the Sustainable Futures Report independent and ad-free. Details of becoming a patron are, as always, at patreon.com slash sfr, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sfr. Now, I'll leave you until Wednesday the 7th of September, although patrons will get their episode a day or two earlier. 
Have a great summer and don't spend too much time in traffic. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Until next time. Thank you.